Evening, everybody. This is going to be interesting because me being an idiot, I forgot my glasses. So I'll just stand like this. This is John 18, uh, sorry, yeah, chapter 15, verse 18 to chapter 16, verse 4, if you want to open your Bibles. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belonged to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They would do, this, they would do all this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. They would not be guilty if I had not come and spoken to them. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Anyone who hates me also hates my father. If I hadn't done such miraculous signs among them that no one else could do, they would not be guilty. But as it is, they have seen everything I did, yet they still hate me and my father. This fulfills what is written in their scriptures. They hated me without cause. But I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the father and will testify all about me. And you must also testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning of my ministry. I have told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith, for you will be expelled from the synagogues, and the time is coming when those who will kill you, who kill you, will think they are doing a holy service for God. This is because they have never known the Father or me. Yes, I'm telling you these things now so that when they happen you will remember my warning. I didn't tell you earlier because I was going to be with you for a while longer. Good evening, everybody. Am I on? Working? Yes. No? How about that? Thanks, guys. Thanks, young people, for leading us tonight. They did a fabulous job. I think we should give them a round of applause and say, well done. <laughs> Terrific. <clears throat> Let's pray together. Father, thank you for our time again today. Thank you for the day that you've given us where we're able to just set apart uh, this time with you. Thanks that we can just put aside the other stuff that we do during the week and just come here to meet with you, to meet with each other and to be able to do what your word says, Lord, to be able to spur one another on towards love and good deeds, to be able to encourage and build one another up. And So thanks that that's been happening, Lord. Thank you that you've been presiding over us and thank you again for our young people tonight and for the way they've led us and just for the way you're growing them and stretching them and developing them, Lord. It's exciting to see. And uh, so, Lord, we... <clears throat> and you're doing that with all of us, so thanks for that, Lord. Thank you never stop doing that in our lives. So we just ask again tonight that you would open our ears, our hearts, our eyes. Lord, let us just really exceed, receive everything that you want for us tonight. So we bless you, Lord, as you open your word to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, I'd be very surprised tonight um, if I'm talking to anyone here who likes to be disliked. 
Anyone here really loves to be disliked? Uh, I don't think I would be seeing anyone like that here tonight. And I don't mind admitting, one of the struggles that I had um, as a young guy, particularly growing up, um, was my inclination to go out of my way uh, to be accepted by other people. Um, I don't quite know why that was going on. I suppose if I sat down and really analysed it, I might be able to find some damage that was done way back. Probably not, but that was just that was part of my personality. Um, I hated being disliked, and so earning uh, approval was, was important to me. It was a priority for me. You know, and, I know, and I know there are others like that. I've talked to others who, who, have, who have struggled in the same way uh, that I do, or that I did, um, with this same problem. And I've got to say, now it, now it doesn't trouble me as much. Um, I mean, for example, anyone who wears a giraffe onesie to a youth group night <laughs> at my age really is demonstrating we don't really care too much about what people think. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just look at the Facebook that's somewhere there from what I understand. But imagine, try to imagine, some of you can, try to imagine the joy and the freedom and the release that flowed into my life when I discovered Jesus Christ. When I discovered God's unconditional love and acceptance of me through my faith in Christ. Imagine how I felt. Do you know what that's like? That release, that freedom. I don't care who knows. I don't care whether I'm liked by them or not. I know that I am loved unconditionally. I don't have to earn my approval before the God who loved me and gave himself for me. The God who loves me as I am and accepts me as I am in Christ. And then grows me and develops me. And he does that with us all. What a release it is. I wonder if you know that kind of freedom in your own life tonight. That freedom, that release to know that you're loved. You don't have to earn that approval or that love from anyone. What an amazing God we have. But have you ever worked? Have you ever, have you ever been? Have you ever worked? Have you ever lived in a place where you're not liked? Perhaps you've even been resented by people and perhaps that's pretty public to you. And the thing is you can't work it out because there seems to be no apparent reason for why you are disliked. Is it chemistry? What is it that people just simply don't like you for whatever? And there's no reason, really. There's no apparent reason. You know, persecution is a word that, that I'm sure every believer... Um, living in this world is familiar with in one way or another. And as we've seen, this word, persecution, appears in the scriptures. It's in the Bible. And yet it seems to me that we who live in the western part of the world, whenever we hear the word persecution, I wonder if I should do that as a little test tonight. When you, when you hear the word persecution, what immediately comes into your mind? Sorry? ISIS. Yeah, exactly. And it's the stuff that's happening to other Christians over that side of the world. It's something that's going on to other Christians over there. We kind of, invariably, we, we, we put it in that sort of context. The New, the, new, uh, the, the New Testament Greek word for persecution that's mostly used here in the scripture is the word dioko, 
and it most often refers to the ill treatment of Christians by others. The ill treatment of Christians by others. That's basically what that means. I looked up, just simply looked up the dictionary, the compact uh, Oxford Dictionary, and it defines persecution like this. It says, to subject to prolonged hostility and ill treatment, to persistently harass or annoy. And as Christians, we know that persecution is something that many of our fellow believers all over the world have to live with every day. We know that, every day of their lives. It's also helpful to understand that persecution can take various forms and, and, and have various levels of, of severity and intensity. I mean, for example, you know, we know these ones. We know that there are the physical acts of violence against individuals, <clears throat> including beatings and including torture and kidnappings and rapes and imprisonments and execution. We, we hear about this stuff. It's going on. We know. But you see, persecution can, can also be in the form of things such as inadequate education, um, poor employment, no employment, deprivation of basic needs, the lack of resources, the things that are available but that are deliberately withdrawn because you are of a particular religion. That also is, a per is persecution. And there could be a whole lot of other things that we could list tonight about what comes into this category, what comes into this definition of, of, of persecution. But you know, persecution and hatred of Christians is nothing new. Uh, Jesus warned his people in his day that persecution would happen. And we know it is today. So those scriptures again that we heard, this is how Jesus warned his people. He did it a number of times, all here in the Gospel of John tonight. John 15, 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. What Jesus is saying really here is not if it hates you, it's a matter of when. It's just, it's going to happen. That's really what the meaning of this is. It's not as if, if it might happen, well, it's going to happen. So it's when the world hates you, you know, keep in mind that it's hated me first. We need to really take these scriptures on board. It will help us uh, to, to face up to this stuff that's happening in our world today and, and is happening to us. John 15, 20. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And then John 16, uh, 2 to 4. They will put you out of the synagogues. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think that he's offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I've told you this so that when the time comes, when it comes, you remember that I have warned you. So tonight I want to look at two questions. Two questions um, relating to persecution. The first one is, why does it happen? The second one is, how should we respond to it? So firstly, why does this happen? Why does persecution happen? It may come as a surprise to you that um, this was foretold right at the beginning. Um, and when I say the beginning, I'm talking way back in the Garden of Eden. This whole business of persecution was foretold back in the Garden of Eden. And you remember when the serpent tempted and deceived Adam and Eve and they sinned against God? 
And then one blamed that one and one blamed the other. All the blame game came into from that point on. Um, but you remember what God said to Satan, who was in the form of a serpent back then in the garden. Listen to the words that God said to Satan. And I'll read the amplified version. He said, I will put enmity. And I want to just mention this word enmity means deep-rooted hatred. It's a strong word. Deep-rooted hatred. God said, I will put enmity, this deep-rooted hatred, between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will bruise and tread your head underfoot and you will lie in wait and bruise his heel. This is what God was saying. Can you see how it's developed right back here? It was foretold and it's been happening ever since. So it's since that time, it's exactly, it's exactly what we see today. And the good news is, I'm probably being a bit sarcastic, but the reality is it's going to continue to happen in the future. It happened in the past. We see it today. Historically, it happened over and over and over again. This thing that, that, that God talked about here. F.B. Meyer, he says this. On every page, on every page we meet the conflict. He's looking at the scripture. He's saying on every page of the scripture we meet the conflict. The bruising of the church is healed by the powers of darkness and the increasing area of victory covered by our Emmanuel, the virgin's child. Jesus said to his disciples, and he's, and he's saying it to us today, in John 15, 18, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it's hated me first. And the world here, and the world can mean different things, but in this context, the world in this context means a fallen, sinful humanity living in spiritual darkness. That's what we really mean by in this context here using the, the, uh, the world. In other, word, you know, in, in other words, satanic influences are involved in this as well. That's what it's about. William Barclay, he, he, he says it this way, a human society, the world, so we're talking about the world, a human society organising itself without God. A human society organising itself without God. I want you to think about this. If anyone organises themselves without God, well, guess who's really behind the organising? If it's not God, who is it? Yeah, there's no such thing as, as neutral middle ground here. You either have God or you've got something else that's influencing you. Um, this enmity, this enmity that God spoke about in Genesis 3, which has characterised every age since, this anger, this hatred and anger has existed. It's existed between those who, who walk in the light and those who choose to dwell in the dark. It's been going on since the beginning of time. For example, look at this. Um, Cain kills his brother Abel. Way back in the beginning, can you see how this is going? I will put enmity between you and light and darkness, between your offspring, her offspring. So Cain kills his brother Abel. Let's, let me run through a few examples. Joseph is picked up and dropped in a pit by his brothers uh, and then thrown into prison by his, boss's, uh, by his boss, his boss's wife. 
The Hebrews are enslaved and mistreated by the Egyptians. Can you see this pattern? David is hated and hunted by Saul. Jesus Christ is crucified by our sin and for our sin. The disciples were all persecuted and with the exception of John the Apostle, as tradition has it, the rest of them were all martyred for their faith in Christ. You see, each age, each age has had its martyr role. Each age. And who can forget the Holocaust? And this one, which I didn't, wasn't aware of until I read about it just recently. What about the Armenian and the Assyrian genocide? Where over, where over a 30-year period, up to 3.75 million Christians were killed. And this year, as a matter of fact, marks the 100th anniversary of this atrocity taking place by the Ottoman Turks. 3.75 million Christians slaughtered for their faith. If you've got the latest Mag- um, Barnabas magazine, it talks about that. And by the way... Is there any real reason for persecution, really, when you think about it? Is there? I don't know if there is. But you will, and you are, in some places, hated without cause. You're hated without cause. It's what we call persecution. And it's what Jesus means when in John 15, 24, 25, he quotes from uh, one of the Psalms of David. Uh, which was also fulfilled, which was also a fulfilled pro- prophecy about Christ and about his people. Listen to this. This is Psalm 69.4 that Jesus quotes in that scripture from John 15. He says this. This is what Psalm 69 says, verse 4. Those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs of my head. Many are my enemies without cause. Those who seek to destroy me. But you know, as you read through the scriptures, you look at what Jesus is saying, the true root cause for persecution is found in Jesus' words here in John 16, 2-4. Listen to these words. I want to explain something as we go along here. Um, they will put you out of the synagogue. And I want you to hear these words. Think about what's going on right now as you hear these words that Jesus said. In fact, he said... A time is coming when anyone who kills you will think that he is offering a service to God. Isn't that interesting? What's going on in our world right now where there is a certain fanatical religious groups who think that by killing off Christians, they're serving God. Isn't that happening today? Right now. These extremist terrorist groups that are doing this. And then verse 3 says this, They will do such things... And here's the reason. Because they have not known the Father or me. That's the bottom line. That's, you drill right down to this stuff, that's where it is. That's why. And then Jesus goes on, he says, I've told you this so that when that time comes, it's not a matter of if, it's when it comes, you will remember that I warned you. In other words, he's saying, when this happens to you, don't freak out and think, wow, you never told us any about this, Lord. You didn't tell us this was going to happen. 
He is telling them. He's warning them. I was persecuted. You're going to follow me. I'm going to be in you. Therefore, you'll be persecuted too. That's the cost, the price of the cross. Take up your cross and follow me. There's a cost involved and you can't get away from that. Like what Pastor Darrell said this morning, if you're not suffering in some way for your faith, then you might not want to take a hard look at yourself and ask yourself, am I just kind of, you know, melting in with the rest of everybody else? Am I, am I a light or am I just kind of putting my light under a bushel, you know, under a cover or something like that? Just think things that you need to perhaps talk over with the Lord, you know? Um, so that when so Jesus said, I've told you these things, that, that when that time comes, you remember that I warned you. So simply put, this whole thing about they will do such things because they have not known the Father. Simply put then, if the world had known the Father, it would have, like us who do know him, would have embraced the Father and therefore would have embraced the Son who made known the Father to us. Do you get that? If they had really known who the Father was, they would have known who Jesus was. What would they, they wouldn't have persecuted him. They would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But they did because they didn't know him. And they were driven by demonic forces behind their ignorance and their choosing to be hard-hearted about it. But as it is, as it was, they the world rejected God therefore rejected the son the Lord Jesus and they'll reject you and we're persecuted all who belong to him will be persecuted and that's why Jesus said in John 15 and verse 21 he said they will treat you this way they will treat you this way because of my name for they did not know the one who sent me isn't it funny, isn't it strange how when you mention the name of Jesus in public, you'll get a reaction. Mention God, everyone, we can talk about God and it's not threatening. You mention Jesus, there's something about his name that will cause a reaction. People are either warm to you or they'll go, Woo, hey. <laughs> keep away from me, freak. Isn't it true? Something about the name of Jesus. And there's power in that name. Be encouraged in that name. Don't be ashamed of that name. So how do we respond? Here's the next question then. So how do we respond? We know it's happening. We know it's real. Okay. So how should we as Christians respond to this persecution and hatred? How do we handle that when it comes our way? Well, let me say this, probably not in the way that we might feel like handling it sometimes. Eh? Just like James and John, remember that? James and John who once suggested to Jesus, Lord, do you want us to cool down fire from heaven, destroy them? Can you hang in there? Can you, can you identify with that? I feel like praying that, Lord, this mob called ISIS, Lord, rain down fire on them. I have these funny thoughts sometimes. Maybe you do too. Lord, send an earthquake. Just do, do away with them, Lord. <clears throat> I'm getting too excited here. We feel like saying that, but isn't it interesting? 
When the disciples said that to Jesus, the next verse of that scripture says Jesus rebuked them. (laughs) No, boys, we don't do that. So it's not the answer, but the answer is found in another question. And the question is this. How did Jesus respond to persecution? What did he teach? What did he do? As we look at his life, as we listen to his words, what did he do? What did he teach? We know that Jesus faithfully, patiently endured hatred and persecution himself. And what do we also see and learn about him? We see that he did not retaliate. He didn't retaliate but completely and totally submitted himself to the Father. And then he gives us these beautiful words that the Apostle Peter gives us, actually. As Peter was with Jesus, watched his life, listened to his words, watched this man, this one called Christ. And Peter says this, because he was there. He said, when they hurled their insults at him, and they did viciously, violently, like you and I would never cop, He said, when they hurled these things at Jesus, he did not retaliate. He could have. He could have. He could have gone like that. Boom. Ash. He could have done that. He did not retaliate. When he suffered, this is Peter saying, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to to him who judges justly. Isn't that beautiful words? Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly or who judges righteously. And folks, this is what we do in the face of persecution. We entrust ourselves to him, to him who knows all, to, who knows everything. He sees everything. There is nothing that goes unnoticed by him. He sees it. He knows it. He will judge justly. Nothing is overlooked. No one gets away with anything because we will all stand, without exception, all of us stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And I think we've got to have that perspective. We've got to hang on to that every time because you can become so discouraged by the stuff that's going on amongst us. For you personally, the way that you're suffering this stuff, it can get you down. But do what Jesus did. Entrust yourself to him who knows all about it, who judges righteously. Just remember that other verse too. The one that says, um, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. So we entrust ourselves to him. Uh, Remember how... Lost it. The judge of all the earth will do what is right. Abraham, will not the judge of earth do what is right? Yes, he will. The judge of all the world will, the all the earth, he will do right. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I like what Chuck, Chuck Swindoll has said here. He said, We must never forget that evil will enjoy short-term victories. I love the way this bloke writes. Anything by Chuck Swindoll is worth reading, folks. Let me read it again. We must never forget that evil will enjoy short-term victories, but that Christ already has conquered evil, sin, disease, suffering, death and decay. 
Christ has already conquered all that. Persecution is inevitable and, in many cases, fatal. Death, however, is not the end of life. Not for the believer. It's promotion. (laughs) Um, Let me keep reading. The resurrection awaits in which we will exist beyond the reach of the world and its affliction. We must never forget that one day soon, and we know this day is coming and we know it soon, Christ will return to silence the enemies of God through a crushing defeat. He was vindicated through his resurrection and we will be vindicated through ours. We should hear a great big amen. Amen to that. Jesus gives us that supreme, that fantastic example. We need to entrust ourselves to him who judges righteously. He wins. He wins. When you're with him, you win. You will never lose. The ones who are persecuting you, if they don't know Christ, they lose. They lose. And Jesus, again, Jesus depended entirely upon his Father's promises, upon these promises of hope and glory, a wonderful future with us. He was looking forward to that time of great joy. And that comes out in the Hebrew passage. Let me read it to you. Again, it's encouragement for us about this persecution. This is what we do. Right of the Hebrews, 12 and verses 2 to 3. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. The author and perfecter of our faith. Listen to these words. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Scorning its shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3. Listen to these words carefully. They're for us. As it all is. Verse 3. Consider him. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart because that is our inclination is it not doesn't we don't we lose heart doesn't we don't we grow weary from the stuff that's going on it gets you down and that's why the writer says consider Jesus consider this one who suffered like you and I never will But he had a joy that was set before him. He looked beyond the cross. He could see beyond the suffering to this joy, this hope of being with his father and being with us. And we need to have that same kind of hope because it's there for you. It's a certainty. See, not only does this passage show us how Jesus endured persecution, but it also reminds us to look to his example and to follow his lead. Look to him. Follow his lead. He's got the answer. He is the answer. Verse 3 again. Consider him. Consider him. Put your mind on him. Fix your eyes on him. The one who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And when you think about it, isn't it amazing what you can endure if you know that beyond that there is hope? Can't you? If you have that absolute certain hope that your name is written in heaven, that you're his and no one can snatch you out of, your, out of his hand, that there is nothing, nothing that can separate you from the love of God, when you've got that kind of hope, can't you endure a lot of stuff? I think you can. They did. We can. But also, 
immediately after Jesus had spoken about persecution, about, about being hated by the world, he says these words in John 15 again, verse 26. He says, when the counsellor comes or when the helper comes, whatever translation, there's a number of words used here, but when the counsellor or the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Verse 27, listen to this, we, we don't get out of this. And you must also testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Talking to his disciples, but he's talking to us today as well. It's relevant for us. You must testify about me. And I believe these verses are intentional right here, right where they're put. Intentional because in the face of persecution and hatred, as believers, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we must testify about Jesus. Remember those words, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. And that's what happens. Um, when the Spirit of God comes upon us and fills us as he does, if you're a Christian here tonight, he is, you, are in, you are indwelt by the Spirit of God, you are a witness to him. You must testify about him. And what's more, I believe... Not only that, but he will give you the courage, he will give you the boldness to testify in the face of hostile environment. I believe that he does. I, just read the book of Martyrs. Read some of the stories about these people who are being burnt at the stake and being able to sing, being able to praise God. That's not natural. That doesn't come from their own strength. That's the Holy Spirit doing that. This is awesome. This is what God does. It's beyond human. I mean, remember Peter? This is just a, perhaps a, 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 a version of that. P Peter feared about, feared, he feared about what, what they were doing to Christ. And, and through his fear, he denied Christ those three times. We know that. So through fear, he denied Jesus three times. But then look at him in, the, in Acts. Look what happened when Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. In, in Acts chapter 2, with the Holy Spirit and with power, he preached and testified about Christ and didn't care about who knew or who might get offended by him speaking about Christ. He preached with boldness and with power and 3,000 people gave their lives to Christ that day and were baptised. The difference that God's Spirit makes in our lives. You know... Part of my own story, again, as a young Christian, was that I did lack boldness. I did lack courage to testify about my faith. And it troubled me. Here I am, a brand new believer. I wasn't in a church. My conversion happened outside of a church, so I didn't know any other Christians. It was a very strong conversion. One day I'll share my testimony perhaps about that. But I tell you what, I, I was fearful. I had this little Bible that my mother gave me, little Gideon's Bible, and I was trying to read that in the privacy of my own room. I was living on the barracks at that time as a soldier. And any time anyone walked past my bedroom door, I'd stuff the Bible under my pillow. That's <laughs> and I'm going, God, I don't like doing this. This is troubling me. Why am I embarrassed or ashamed about this? And it troubled me. Um, and I was amongst some pretty, you know, rough blokes back then. Um, 
blokes that were, some were ex-Vietnam, so Vietnam hadn't happened that long ago, and I was with guys who had been to Vietnam, they fought in Vietnam, some of them weren't very sympathetic at all about religious people, and uh, that was the sort of thing that I was in. Um, and I said, it troubled me, and I remember one day someone praying for me, I don't even know where I was, I was just simply in this, went to this rally, and this trouble that I was in, that I, that, that this burden that I carried about being ashamed, embarrassed, I asked someone to pray for me and I remember a lady, she laid hands on me and, I, and she said, Lord, I just pray for boldness for this young man. And it was from that point I think things started to change, slowly, but things started to change. So here I am and this is a situation that happened. One day I'm in the compound where I work at the Inaugura Barracks and for some reason the commander of our squadron, he decided that some of us would give a talk on something that uh, we had an interest in. He just wanted the, the junior NCOs back then to start getting used to public speaking. I think it might have been that for that reason. And I was in that category, so a number of people put up their hand, and if they didn't, they were chosen anyway. You're going to do it, you're going to do it, you're going to do it. You know how they volunteer, you do it. And I was chosen, and I'm standing here, and there's all these guys, and they're saying, righto, tell me what you're going to talk on. And God had already laid in my heart what he wanted me to say. Guess what it was? And if you could see my shirt, it was doing this. My heart was beating. I was saying, God, I can't do this. And he's saying, you're going to? I'm saying, I can't. And uh, <clears throat> so it came around to my turn. And uh, Lance Crawford, Butterfield, what are you going to talk on? I'm going to talk on the, <clears throat> talk on the Bible, sir. <laughs> I'm going to talk on the Bible, I said. I said it very nervously. And nobody said a thing, nobody looked up, you could have dropped a pin and everyone would have heard it. It was dead silence, I felt a bit embarrassed, everyone else around me was more embarrassed than I was, I'm sure. Righto, next person, oh, surfing, something else, something that was just, you know, easy breezy for them. But God said, I want you to talk on the Bible. And so I said that, it was one of the most difficult times that I've ever had. It was a test, I know that now, but it was a very difficult time. And after I'd said yes, I thought, you idiot, what did you say that for? But no, I, I went to my pastor. That's what you do. That's what, that's what we do. We go to our pastor and I said, help, help. This is what I've said. This is what I'm going to have to do. So he helped me and he gave me some notes and he helped me to put this thing together. My church family, I was in a home group back then and they prayed for me. The day came for me to give that talk and I gave the talk. Just gave the talk. And there were people who listened. And the interesting thing was that after that talk, it opened up a way for some of these tough blokes who came up and they wanted to talk to me afterwards. That happened. But I'll tell you something else that happened. From that point on, there were also others who said, stay away from me. You see the cost? So there were some who said, I want to know more. And they talked to me. Others just said, I don't want to barve you anymore. So I lost some. And gained others. That, that's what happens. I think that's what happens to all of us. There is a cost. And you've got to be prepared to, to count that cost. Let me keep moving on because I'm going to run right out of time. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus spoke about persecution and what our response should be. Look at this. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you. You're listening to these words tonight because some of you are in that category. 
You need to consider yourself to be blessed when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. He says, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Awesome words. I hope you're encouraged by that. I read a book a long time ago called The Heavenly Man. Anyone read that? Brother Yun, if you haven't read this book called The Heavenly Man, you need to get a hold of it and read it. It'll just charge your batteries. It'll get you going. It's an amazing, inspirational story. Well, see, in this story, the heavenly man, Brother Yun, he requests believers in the West to pray for him and his people in the underground church at China, where they are being persecuted. But listen to what he says. He says, don't pray that the persecution stops. He says, because when we're being persecuted, we draw so close to the Lord and he draws so close to us. He said, it's a beautiful experience. He said, don't stop. Don't pray that the persecution will stop because we are so blessed during that time. Isn't this awesome what this guy is saying? But he says, pray that we will be able to bear up under it and endure it. That's his, he said, that's, that's the prayer I want you to pray. Let me read you something um, from the Barnabas magazine as I close. The range of anti-Christian persecution and the reasons for it are as varied today as in New Testament times. And many of the sufferings experienced by the first Christians find echoes in those of the 21st century church. But the significance of persecution and the response that is required from God's people are just the same. Human and demonic forces continue to wage war against the saints and the suffering is, unavoidable, is an unavoidable result. But for those who remain faithful to Christ, persecution becomes a channel of God's rich blessings both now and in eternity. Amen. I want us to bow and pray. And as we do, I'm going to read a prayer, a prayer that was written for the suffering church. This is, I want to close with this prayer. The prayer goes like this. <clears throat> Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks and praise that you reveal yourself to us in your Son and drew to us, drew us to yourself. We pray for those who endure discrimination and persecution, violence and injustice for the sake of your holy name. We pray that you will grant them daily strength to persevere in the hardships they may face. We pray for those who seek to persecute your children, that they will turn their eyes to you and come to know Christ as their Lord and Saviour. We pray too for ourselves, Lord, we know that we are not immune to mockery, harassment and even persecution for Christ. Should we find ourselves suffering because of our faith in you, we ask that you will enable us to stand firm in our trials. May we know that you are with us and that you are always faithful to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, and just before I hand over to our young people to lead us, to the conclusion. Look, if anyone wants to pray...
you know, I don't know what God's been saying to you, but if there's anyone that just would like someone to sit with you and pray, well then do that before you go. It might just be someone beside you. But if something's been really tugging at your heart tonight and you want to unload that or have someone share with you, please do it. Happy to help. Pastor Dave's here. Others are here tonight. Um, so look, please do that before you go home. Thanks. Bless you. Cool, if you guys all want to be standing for our last um, worship song.